Christianity rises and falls on the authenticity and authority of the words and works of Jesus Christ. It's clear from a study of Jesus' own words that he didn't dance around issues. He knew who he was and why he was here. Matthew tells us that when Jesus finished his Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Never is that more true than when Jesus uttered these words to the disciples in the upper room hours before he was crucified. I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now. Hello, and thanks for stopping by for today's edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. My name is Brian Davis. Always glad to have you with us. And today, Ron takes us to John chapter 14 to explore one of the hard sayings of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. What did he mean? And in light of his bold claim, how should we respond? Stay with us now or visit somethinggoodradio.org to hear any of Ron's messages on demand. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Or you can subscribe to the podcast at Spotify, at Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From his teaching series, Why Jesus? Seven Reasons He is Still the One and Only. Here's Ron in part two of his Something Good Radio message, The Way, The Truth, and The Life. Gravity is not true on Monday, but not true on Thursday. Gravity is a scientific truth. It's true for all people in all places at all times. If you have any doubts about that, climb the tallest building, jump off, but you will not have an opportunity to do it someplace else because gravity, boom, will kick in. It's true in all places at all times and for all people. Well, the same is true with morality, okay? Our culture says that what's right and what's wrong is relative to the individual. So your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. What works for you works for you. What works for me works for me. I'm okay, you're okay, it's that kind of thing. And what it produces is moral chaos in our culture. Other people come along and say, no, what's true, what's morally right is defined by the collective society. And I say, oh, wait a minute there. Be very, very careful because there was a collective society back in World War II who believed it was right, morally right, to murder six million Jews. So if we're searching for truth, if we're answering the age-old pilot question, what is truth, we need to find a truth that is completely outside of ourselves because I don't trust your truth, you don't trust my truth, and I certainly don't collect, uh, trust the collective truth of society. We can just go all through history to find bad examples of that. Now, we need a truth that is completely outside of ourselves, and that's why we say that God not only created the universe and the, the scientific laws and the natural laws like gravity within that system, but He has also created moral laws within the universe that reflect His moral character. He alone is the one that defines morality, what's right and what's wrong. That's why Jesus can say, I am 
the truth. I don't teach the truth. No, Muhammad said that. I am the truth. No degree of separation between me and what is true. And because I am truth, I also define what is false. So, you go down that road as a Christian, and you're going to have people who say, oh, you're just so narrow-minded. But think about it. Now, let's just have an honest conversation here. Truth by its nature is narrow-minded. Here are a couple of examples. Uh, you want to go someplace on the World Wide Web, and you get your fingers going on the keyboard, you have to type in the exact address. Don't call it a .com when it's a .org or a .net, and don't miss one letter in the key there or else an error message will come up. How intolerant of the Internet. Or, or if you're uh, dialing somebody on the phone, you know those ten digits? You get one of them wrong and you're going to hear this little message that goes, I'm sorry, we cannot connect that call at this time. Oh, but I had nine of them right. Oh, how intolerant you know, of the phone company to demand nine or ten, ten correct digits. Truth by its very nature is narrow-minded. I, I learned in grade school that one plus one equals two, and when I put down three or four, uh, my, my math teacher marked it wrong. We have a hard time saying what's right and what's wrong in society because we have blurred the lines so much because we've bought into this for the past generation that truth is relative to the individual. No, truth is defined by a holy God who is morally pure. He defines what is right and what is wrong. He defines what is true for all people in all places and at all times. So if you run into uh, your relativist friend who disagrees with that, here's what somebody once suggested. Take the five fingers in your hand, curl them up into a fist, punch him in the nose. Hit him hard. Make his nose bleed. Break it. And then when you ask him, well, well did I do something wrong? And he says, well, of course you did. Just say, well, I, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. It's not wrong to me to punch you in the nose. Why are you getting all upset? Don't sue me for assault and battery. Oh, you, you live by a different morality than I do. My morality says, I can just punch you in the nose and break it in half. See, the relativist becomes very inconsistent when his world, you know, gets, gets twisted around some. We need a morality that is completely outside of ourselves, that is completely outside of our culture, even the collectiveness of our culture. Why? Because we are fallen, sinful creatures, and we can't trust to know what is right and what is wrong. And that's why the plumb line, the plumb line is Jesus, who said, I am the truth. So we follow the way, we believe the truth, these are simple things, but thirdly, we live the life. Jesus said, I am the life. And I think of life in a couple of ways. First, eternal life. John 3 and verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him will have eternal life. Who wants eternal life this morning? As I understand the Bible, eternal life is the free 
gift of God. Maybe you woke up this morning, you came to church, you didn't think you were going to get something free given to you because somebody told you there ain't no free lunch in this world. Well, I can think of something that is out of this world that is free. It's called eternal life. Comes free of charge because somebody else paid for it. His name was Jesus, and he died upon the cross for your sins and for mine. Because the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, as it's diagnosing our human condition, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. A few verses or chapters later, it says, and the wages of sin is death. That's really bad news. That's like an oncologist saying to you, you have stage four cancer. You're going to die. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But Romans 6.23 turns and it says, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is pro-life in every sense of the way. He he is the giver of life. He is life. He, He purchased this thing called eternal life, and he wants to give it to you and give it to me free of charge. It's a free gift from God. You don't work for it. You don't earn it. You don't, you know, count the number of times you came to church and uh, whether you were baptized or not or how many Hail Marys you've done. No, none of that really matters. What matters is the cross of Christ because we were spiritually bankrupt. We couldn't afford this thing called eternal life. He purchased it for us and said, here, it's a gift. What do you do with a gift? You receive it. How do you receive it? By faith. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So Jesus said, I am the life. Still ahead, the second half of today's Something Good radio message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. If it's been a while since you stopped by our website, somethinggoodradio.org, you might want to pay us a visit. We've released a new streaming platform for Something Good Radio and Something Good Television. You'll also find our digital library where you can search for biblical answers to some of your most challenging questions. Watch, listen, and download for free. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Some of life's greatest adventures take place on a road trip. Nothing is more enjoyable than traveling the open highway with the windows rolled down and the music turned up. Each town, each exit, an experience all its own. Hello friend, I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio, and today I'm inviting you to take a road trip with me. You see, I'm convinced that reading the Bible is the greatest literary adventure you can ever take. But with 66 books, two testaments, and more than 600,000 words, it can be a daunting journey to attempt. That's why I wrote my two-volume book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, where I give you a bird's-eye view of God's Word so you can clearly see how it all fits together. All 66 books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So pack your bags and join me on the ultimate road trip through the Bible. You'll be glad you did. Here's Brian with details. The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volume 1 and 2, can be yours today by request for your gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of something good. When you order the print versions, you'll also get instant access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. 
The online library includes electronic versions of the book, plus video sermons, audio messages, and downloadable sermon notes on all 66 books of the Bible. Visit somethinggoodradio.org to request the two-volume set and to gain immediate access to the Route 66 digital library. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Pastor Ron, not only did you break this project up into two volumes, but you created what you call eight different road trips, five in the Old Testament and three in the New. Help our listeners understand the motivation behind that literary structure. You know, Brian, categorizing the various books of the Bible into eight separate groups is nothing new. Uh, They include the books of the law, the Old Testament historical books, Uh, the wisdom books, the major prophets, the minor prophets. Then we're into the Gospels and the early church, the Pauline epistles, and we finish up with the general epistles in Revelation. But when I first decided to compare the reading of God's Word to a travel adventure, well, it took me almost no time to come up with the phrase road trip to identify these eight sections of Scripture. Uh, What I believe the reader will begin to see a little more clearly is that the books of the law, for example, point to the person and work of Jesus Christ as much as the Gospels do. That's because the Bible is one story with one main character. His name is Jesus, and he is the Christ. Uh, My hope is that by experiencing the 66 books of the Bible as eight separate road trips, uh, this overarching theme will be easier to recognize and understand. Such a great idea, Pastor Ron. We're so glad you decided to share this important book with us. You can get your copy today by going to somethinggoodradio.org. Both volumes of this great resource are yours for a gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of Something Good. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099 or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. Now let's get you back to the rest of today's message, The Way, The Truth, and The Life. Once again, here's Dr. Ron Jones. He's the only one who can give us eternal life. And by the way, you do know that you were created to live forever, don't you? I mean, that one day you're going to die and I'm going to die and they're going to put our body in the grave, but our spirit will separate from our body and go into the afterlife. And the Bible then talks about eternal life or eternal death. Eternal death is separation from God forever in a place called hell. And it's eternal. I'd rather have eternal life, especially if it's given to me free of charge and by faith. I'd rather have eternal life than eternal death. And and that's why it's good news when Jesus tells us, "I, I am the life. Now, you can be a possessor of eternal life by faith in Jesus Christ and never experience what others refer to as the abundant life in Christ. Anybody here want to live an abundant life? on this earth before we get to the afterlife? I certainly do. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, I have come, in one of his great purpose statements, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Now, does that mean, you know, more cars and bigger houses and a bigger bank account? No, I don't think so. It it may be if God blesses you with that, and, and great. Be a good steward of it. But I think the abundant life is pictured in, in Galatians chapter 5 when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, this, this bountiful basket of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, a life that's characterized by that. 
a life that is not characterized by the other list known as the works of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. I mean, which list defines your life? One is all about the abundant life, and the other describes a very destructive, self-destructive kind of life. Jesus says, I came here to give you the kind of life you were meant to live. I came to give you eternal life, and while you're still on this earth, to, to experience abundant life also known as the deeper life or the higher life or the victorious Christian life or some even say based upon the words of the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, the crucified life. Listen to this. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. If you're a possessor of eternal life, how do you live the abundant life? Well, it has something to do with the crucified life. Paul says, I, I identify with the cross of Christ. That's, that's my identification in life. Not what I do for a living, not my, my family history. Not, I, I, I am crucified with Christ. The old me is dead and gone, and He has birthed new life in me. And he says, the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Totally different way Paul lived. Some call it the exchanged life. Exchanging that list of self-destructive behavior and sinful behavior for, for a list and a, and a basket of, of bounty called love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Imagine that spilling into your life and your relationships and the way you work and your family and your marriage. That's the abundant life that Jesus wants for us. He says, I came to give you that. And I also came to give you eternal life. So that's why I say very simply, follow the way, believe the truth, not the lies of the culture. Hey, the culture is always going to press up against Christianity and push it back. And, you know, I, I, I talk about the gale force winds that come against us anytime you say Jesus is the way, the truth, and no man comes. Oh, yeah, you're, you're going to get spit upon verbally or otherwise. It's not going to be easy. And thirdly, live the life. Live the life you were meant to live. You know, the early followers of Jesus experienced no ambiguity about who Jesus was. They took the words that they heard in the upper room on the night before Jesus was crucified and later as they told the story of the early church in the book of Acts, chapter 4 and verse 12, they wrote these words, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. He's talking about Jesus. No one else. It's pretty clear. A little bit later, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, one of his protégés in the ministry, and he says, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. 
When Mormons call Jesus the spirit brother of Lucifer, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Uh, when, when Islam says that Jesus never died on the cross, that Allah rescued him and somebody else died in his place, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. There's one God, there's one mediator between God and man, there's one way, there's one truth, there's one life that's really worth living, and it all flows through this person named Jesus who also said, I am the resurrection and the life, and I am the bread of life. You see, he can make those claims because he went to that cross, and then three days later, he rose from the dead. You go to his grave today in Jerusalem, it's empty. I've been there. I've spoken words in that tomb, and it's echoed because of its emptiness and hollowness. My Redeemer lives. And because he does, he can make claims like this, and rather than, than bristling over the claim that he makes, as somebody told me years ago, I'm, I'm just glad that he gave us a way to the Father's house because he could have said to us wayward sheep and sinners that we are, done with you. But God so loved the world and you can insert your name there, that He sent His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That Son that He sent said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Couldn't be any simpler. My job this morning is not to complicate what Jesus made so simple but to speak the truth in love and to encourage you to make your decision today. When Jesus said, no one can come to the Father except through me, he left no room for interpretation. He is either Lord, liar, or lunatic. Which is he to you? Dr. Ron Jones joins me now. Ron, there are some who would say, I accept Jesus as a good moral teacher, but I reject his claim to be God. How would you respond to someone who holds that opinion? I'm so glad you asked that, Brian, because some of our listeners may have friends or family members who believe that way, and maybe this answer can help. You have to start with the things Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, anyone who said something like that would not be a great moral teacher if it were not true. He'd either be a liar guilty of blasphemy, a lunatic who suffered from insanity, or else he is exactly who he claims to be. A people can call Jesus crazy or deceitful, but the one thing they cannot do is call him merely a great moral teacher. Jesus intentionally made that option unavailable to us. So I would encourage anyone who thinks of Jesus as simply a good moral teacher to study his life and study his words and decide for yourself if Christ is a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord he claims to be. Based on the words of his own testimony, those are really the only three available options. That's Dr. Ron Jones with some great final thoughts on today's message, The Way, The Truth, and The Life. Ron, we're about out of time, but before we sign off, what can you tell us about the next message in your current series, Why Jesus? Seven Reasons He is Still the One and Only. 
Yes, and thanks, Brian. You know, one of the things people often ask me is, how do I live the Christian life successfully? And the answer is, well, we can't, at least not without the supernatural help of God. Jesus said, I am the true vine. And that's the next I am statement I'll explore as we move ahead in this series. You know, if you want to live the Christian life successfully or fruitfully, you have to be intimately connected to Jesus every moment of every day, just as a branch is connected to the vine. And this is why Jesus says, I am the true vine. He is not one of many vines or many options. Uh, He's the one and only true vine. We'll explore this vital relationship a little further next time as I continue my teaching series, Why Jesus? Seven Reasons He is Still the One and Only. Join us then for Something Good when Dr. Ron Jones shares his message, The True Vine. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.